begin, I'm going to be reading from James chapter 1, starting uh, just James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In this third message on Lead Like Jesus, I want to begin with a confession. And this confession, it may shock you, so brace yourself, get ready for it. And the confession is this. I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. I know, I know, I'm so embarrassed, but it's true. I have participated in every bad decision I have ever, ever made, every relational decision, every parenting decision, every financial decision, every bad stock that I have purchased, every bad eating decision I have made, whatever it is, I have participated in every terrible decision. And ultimately why I don't feel so, so bad is because I know that I'm not the only one. In fact, you have participated in every bad decision that you have ever made, turn to your neighbor and say, it's true, it's true. You were there for them all, every single one, every bad decision ever made, you were there and you participated in that decision. Because we're all human, right? And as, as humans, being human means we make mistakes. And thankfully, there are some mistakes we look back on and we can laugh about, or at least have the wisdom to look back and think, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Because we know that many of our failures, at least our hearts, were in the right places, right? And here's something that I've noticed when it comes to many of the bad, the bad decisions that we have made. When it comes to the mistakes that others make, I tend to judge their mistakes by the outcome of their choices of their decision, rather than when it comes to my mistakes and my bad choices, I tend to judge my, my mistakes by my intentions. I judge your mistakes by your outcome, and I, and, and I judge my mistakes by my intentions. I have a short memory when it comes to my mistakes, and I have a long memory when it comes to the mistakes of others. Case in point, every single leader who has had to lead in 2020 and 2021. Is there anyone out there today who says that they envy being in a position of leadership in this past year and a half? Anyone? Anyone at all say you'd sign up to be premier of the province right now or prime minister of the country? I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, uh, raise your hand or just confess with me if at some point this past year and a half, you have yelled something at the screen, at somebody on the screen. Maybe you're yelling at somebody on the screen right this minute. But 2021 hasn't been very kind for people in positions of leadership. You know, I, I believe most importantly as Christians, it is our duty, it is our responsibility to pray for every leader that God has placed, you know, in our path, to pray for them, to believe the best for them, to speak well of them. But as so many leaders all over the world unexpectedly were thrust into the spotlight, it goes without saying that there were some decisions made that were not the prettiest or the easiest decisions that were made. Mistakes were made. Promises were broken. 
You know, lies were told. Some leaders were even caught breaking the very rules they put into place. And the lesson that every leader has had to learn during this momentary spotlight on every decision made is that if you are a leader, it is hard to lead well. It is difficult to lead well. No matter who you are, it is hard to lead with integrity, transparency, honesty, accountability, every single moment from the very first day to the last. And it is why so many leaders have struggled to lead well in this moment, because leading well is one of the hardest challenges we as leaders will ever have to face. And for those of us called by God to lead in his kingdom, and I hope you know by now in week three that we've established and why I use the word leader is because every single person who follows Christ in God's eyes is a leader, is called to lead both yourself and to lead others closer to him. The challenge of leading well is even greater. Why? Because the spotlight on followers of Jesus is even brighter. The cost is even higher with so many who are waiting, perhaps even hoping that those who lead in Jesus' name will fail, will fall, will falter. But here's what I believe today to be true. If the challenge of leading well was too great for you, Jesus wouldn't have called you to it. If the burden he thought would be too great, too much, he wouldn't have asked you to bear it. But we are called, you and I, to lead well from the starting line to the finish line, from the day he called us out of the boat to follow him, to the day he calls us home and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Aren't those the words that we all long to hear when it's all said and done? Aren't those the words that make everything that we are striving and toiling and working towards worth it to hear our, our Savior welcome us saying, well done, good and faithful servants. Well, if those are words that you long to hear today, well done. Here's the thing. You don't need to lead perfectly. All you need to do is lead faithfully. And so this morning we are looking at what it means to lead well in God's kingdom because it's pretty much stating the obvious that from the very beginning to the finish line, Jesus led well. Even when so many wanted him to fail, even when the spotlight on him was greatest, he modeled and exemplified the true and better, well, good and faithful servants. When we looked at Jesus, here's what we see. We see two things that made him lead well, two specific things that made him lead well. Number one, Jesus properly ordered his private life. What is our private life, our inner life? It is everything that is unseen by the eyes of others. It is our heart. It is our soul. It is our mind. It is our hidden intentions, things away that are unseen and unnoticed. Jesus properly ordered his private life. And secondly, Jesus, there were no gaps between Jesus' public and private life. There was no gaps between who he said he was and who he was. He was consistent when it came to his public and his private life. And so if we desire to lead like Jesus, let's take a closer look, starting with the first. The foundation of leading well is established by what happens in the quiet recesses of our heart, the places where no one sees who we are but God himself. This can be, for so many, the most difficult part of leading, leading like Jesus, hands down. Because properly ordering your, your inner world 
it goes completely against the grain of this cultural moment, especially when all of our needs can be met at the click of a button, or we can just, a few minute drive, and we can go in and we can get anything that we need, except non-essential items. I know that's a bad joke, but regardless. Sometimes it seems that we expect the needs of our heart, our mind, our soul, to be met as quickly and instantaneously as anything else. I can go online, I can go on Amazon, I can order a, a book on prayer, and in two days' time it will arrive, but I can't develop and foster a heart for prayer in two days' time, can I? You know, I can download the Bible on my phone, and I can have every translation that has ever been written. It's truly fascinating to think about that, isn't it? I can have every devotional that's written available on my phone, but to develop a discipline of reading God's Word, a hunger for His Word, that's not so much about availability as it is consistency. To properly order our private inner life requires that you and I build a foundation, and like anything else, a foundation that is made to endure. Building such a foundation, it takes time and effort with little praise or accolades for the progress you make that is inside of you, that is away from the public eye. You know, in New York City, there's a bridge, uh, and it's known as the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm sure many of you are, know what I'm talking about. And it's one of the oldest suspension uh, bridges which connects Manhattan to Brooklyn. It's a marvel of engineering for sure, especially considering uh, the year that it was made in the late 1800s. And while the bridge was being constructed, the chief engineer and his team came under fire uh, and came under some criticism for how long the project was taking place. That it seemed like that nothing was happening, no progress was being made, uh, because they could not see any, any sort of uh, physical evidence that the bridge was happening. And this is what the chief engineer responded to these criticisms. Here's what he remarked. He said, to such of the general public as might imagine, that no work has been done on the New York Tower because they see no evidence of it above the water. I should simply remark that the amount of masonry and concrete laid on that foundation during the past winter underwater is equal in quantity to the entire masonry of the Brooklyn Tower visible today above the waterline. You know, there on your screen, you see a picture of the Brooklyn Tower. And just imagine with me that underneath the water that size, that magnitude, that scope stands underneath the waterline. You know, what stands beneath the waterline of our lives it's, is, is invisible and not, unnoticeable to the eye. Yet, in order for us to properly order, to properly lead the, like Jesus has called us to lead, our, our inner world underneath the waterline of our lives needs to be equal in size to what stands above the water. You know, the only reason that bridge stands today, 135 years later, is because the most patient, the most difficult work happened in places where no one could see and no one could know. And could the same be said, could the same be true about our lives? That some of the most important work that can ever take place, some of the most important yet difficult work takes place beneath the waterline of our lives. As you think about the foundation of your inner life at this moment, only the, the places that only your eyes can see, what sort of foundation stands in that place? You know, what foundation is being built? What are you doing to, to develop and, and build that inner world, to properly order that, that the places of your life that are not seen by the eyes of others? You know, what makes Jesus' life so unique, so different than our own, is that his private, his inner world was perfectly ordered despite being subjected 
to the same limitations that you and I have on our humanity. You know, during Jesus's life, we see Jesus do something that I believe was 100% intentional and on purpose. That while the inner life is one of, is the most unseen part of a leader, Jesus revealed time and time again his inner world so that we might know how to properly order ours. John Thompson, a pastor in Toronto, says it this way. He says, the Gospels fill in the blanks between Christmas and Easter with the account of Jesus, fully human while remaining God, accepting the limitations of he on humanity in order to show us how we could truly follow in his footsteps and rely on the power he relied on every moment of the day. He accepted the limitations of our humanity so that he could show us how to follow in his footsteps. So we can know how to properly order our inner world, how we could overcome the limitations of our humanity. Why do you think the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray? No, did they not know how to pray? Did they not grow up being taught the prayers, to be taught how to go through the motions, at what time they should pray and what they should pray? No, they, they knew all those things that from a very young age, those disciples had been taught everything that there was to know about prayer. But they saw Jesus and they saw the way he prayed. Jesus showed them his prayer life. He revealed to them his inner world. And there was something about his inner world. And they reflected against their inner world. And they realized that Jesus had something different than that they had. And they wanted that. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I find it remarkable that by taking the form of a human being, Jesus allowed the limitations of our humanity to be placed upon him so that we might know how to overcome the limitations that disrupt and disorder our inner worlds. You know, there are so many limitations to our humanity, but I just want to name two this morning, two limitations that I believe Jesus came to show us how to overcome. First and foremost, it's the desires of our flesh, which God's word describes the desires of our flesh as being our sinful nature. You know, what a lot of new people, when they come to faith, what surprises them and what they don't realize is that no matter how passionate you are about Christ, no matter how long you've been serving him, you know, how long you've been going to church, how many times you've read the Bible, you cannot escape the desires and passions that your flesh will bring about inside of you. You know, I once heard when I was younger in ministry, a, a sort of parable of an older priest in his 80s uh, who was mentoring a young priest brand new into the ministry. And the young priest was struggling with the desires of his flesh, struggling with lust. And he said to the old man in his 80s, he said, at what age do these desires go away? And the old man turned to the young man. And he says, I'll let you know when it happens. The most dangerous thing we can do when the passions of our flesh rage within us is to tolerate those desires, though. That just because the desires of our flesh rage within us doesn't mean we have to accept it or tolerate it, but rather we are called to crucify those desires. Because our flesh is waging an all-out war against our spirits. And the most difficult part about this war is that it's a hidden war. It's guerrilla warfare in its truest form. You know, the flesh attacks our spirit away from the public eye. It attacks the most dark and deep secret places of our heart. I mean, the flesh doesn't mess around. The flesh fights dirty. Properly ordering your private world 
it requires we crucify those desires, which is the most painful and necessary work of putting those desires, those appetites, those motives, those attitudes to death, not to bed, but to death. See, while the wisdom of this current moment we live in is to just follow your heart, to do what your heart desires, to follow your heart, and that is the secret of happiness. That is the secret towards progress. The age-old wisdom of God's Spirit is not to follow your heart, because your heart is what deceives you. And rather than following your heart, we are called to follow the Father's heart. Because while our heart deceives us, it is the Father's heart that seeks to lead us. So first we see one of the limitations is the desire of our flesh. Secondly, the second threat to our inner worlds, I believe that this is more relevant, that the desires of our flesh is the age-old limitation, but this is the sort of a new age limitation, and that is the limitation of the endless noise that is being produced by this cultural moment. And I, I say new age, I say you, it is unique and different because we are just beginning to discover what all these endless distractions and noise are doing to our hearts within us. You know, I heard someone say recently that this modern world we live in is just one big virtual conspiracy against the inner interior world. And that might just be one conspiracy I can get behind. Here's what pastor and writer John Mark Comer, this is why he sees noise as being such a threat to our inner world. He says this, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in the world, but not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 new cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity, gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. But again, we become what we give our attention to for better or for worse. And what I just want to encourage you today is that if you today identify that this noise is a struggle for you, I want you to know that even though things in the world seem to be winding down in terms of this this pandemic and all the challenges of this moment, the noise isn't winding down. If you expect that the white noise is going to dissipate as cases dissipate, you, you are incorrect. My encouragement to you today is that it is our responsibility as followers of Christ to lead ourselves away from the noise. How? I believe that Jesus shows us three ways that we can be led away from the noise. Number one, to practice stillness. Now, Jesus was the master of practicing stillness. He always knew what it meant to retreat from the noise, to retreat from the crowds. We are called to be still and know that he is God. Number two, we practice the Sabbath, the, the weekly discipline of getting away and resting. The, the discipline of resting is the discipline of trusting that even when we aren't working, that God is working. And third, if we are struggling and need to get away from the noise, that is to simplify your life. To be still, to practice the weekly Sabbath, and to simplify. Which brings us to the second part of leading well. And that is the public life of a leader. Mainly, how we lead well is ensuring that there isn't a gap between who we are publicly 
and who we are privately. You know, when Jesus was alive, what, what on earth, what was the central critique Jesus had for the leaders of his day, specifically the religious leaders? The answer is hypocrisy. It was the hypocritical spirit of those who were acting, who acted one way in public, but were another way in privates. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 7 to 8, he said, you hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, if you think back to what was said at the very beginning, what is the greatest source of our frustration and pain in being led by leaders today? Why are people so upset? Now, take this lightly, okay? This is meant in jest. Why are people so upset when leaders, when leaders tell people not to travel over Christmas break, but then go and travel over Christmas break? Why are people so upset? The answer is different days, same old problem. It's hypocrisy. You know, the greatest critique against leaders today is not that leaders shouldn't be able to go on vacation. I think we can all agree that these leaders have worked hard and that they are deserving of a vacation. They are deserving of rest, a well-earned rest. But the greatest critique is not that they are not able to go on vacation, but what a leader says should always align with what a leader does. Now, here's the thing. Is the gap between what politicians say and what politicians do really that big of a deal? Sure, it's certainly annoying when a leader says one thing and does another. But if a politician's gap, their leadership gap, is causing you serious pain and struggle, may I suggest you get another hobby? Now, what about the gap between what a Christian says and a Christian does? Is that a big deal? Is it a big deal when a Christian says one thing and does another? Can that be a gap that causes serious pain? The answer is yes, yes, yes. And sadly, there have been far too many who have been wounded, too many Christians who have been wounded by a gap that exists between a Christian leader's public world and their private world. And it grieves me to think that when we hear about it, it doesn't shock us the way I think that it used to. And the first time I ever heard about a leader who I knew fall due to a gap deeply upset me and I thought to myself, you know, if this could happen to him, I need to guard my heart even more and more carefully because if it could happen to him, who's to say that it couldn't happen to me? And truthfully, it could happen to me because it could happen to anyone. There isn't a very single person on this earth right now who doesn't have some form of a gap between who they are publicly and who they are privately. And here's where I want to draw our focus in today. Here's where I want to lead us to. And the question is this. The question is not whether or not there are gaps that exist in my life. But the question is, am I growing so that the more Christ increases in me, the less the gaps, de the more the gaps decrease in me. The more Christ increases in me, the more the gaps decrease in me. If you want to get all theological, theologically fancy this morning, the word is sanctification. Sanctification, which is the process God brings about in our life, and it is a process that is completely driven by his grace. We do not do anything to deserve it. We are not doing anything. It is by grace that God brings about 
the work of holiness in our lives. For some people, when you are saved, there are gaps that are instantly erased. There are gaps that are instantly uh, washed clean when we are saved. And there are other gaps that when we are welcomed home in for eternity, they will be forever erased. And then in the middle, there are some gaps that over our lifetime, God will bring about this work of sanctification by a different season and different times putting his finger on different areas of our life and by his power and by his grace, seeing those gaps diminish as Christ increases in our life. God desires to sanctify you in his grace so that he might set you apart and use you. God wants to close the gap within you so that he might manifest his power through you. And so today as we close, I just want to simply close with the question, how do we lead well? How do we do this? How do we see Christ increase so that the gaps decrease? So that there's no gaps between who we are publicly and who we are privately. First and foremost, we need to trust in the finished work of Christ. How do we see Christ increase and the gaps decrease? Trust in the finished work of Christ. Know today that Christ, while it's true that there may be gaps that exist in our life. Know today that Christ died for each and every single gap that exists in your life today. And the one who died, the one who gave his life, the one who sacrificed it all, who paid it all so that we might live freely, so that we might live to, in righteousness, was the only human being who ever walked on this earth who lived this life with not a single gap. He was described as being a perfect sacrifice, one without spot or blemish, because only a perfect sacrifice could atone for the sins that we committed against God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Paul says this, he says, he made him who knew no sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 John 3.5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him... There is no sin. First Peter 2, 22 to 24, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you are what? You're healed. You are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. The gaps in our lives will only close when we rest, when we trust, when we believe in the finished work of Christ. That every single gap that exists in your life right now, believe today that every gap has been bought with, that has been shed by the perfect, by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. The process of sanctification is the work that belongs to Christ and Christ alone. And so today, if you acknowledge and you see that there is a gap between who you are publicly and who you are privately, know today, believe today, that that gap is not a sign of defeat, but rather that gap is a sign of opportunity. That gap is a miracle in the making and is a testimony of God's grace in waiting. The gap that exists does not have to lead to failure, but because of Christ's sacrifice, it can lead to victory. 
So what we must do then is simply this. Trust in the finished work of Christ. And finally, we do this. We surrender to the ongoing work of Christ's Spirit. See, Jesus knew that for those imperfect people he had called to lead his kingdom, that they couldn't do it alone. That I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We need another. We need a helper. And that is why God sent his Holy Spirit to do many things, including this one thing, John 16, 13, that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will come to guide you into all truth. See, many times we believe that truth is something we know up here, and the Spirit, well, the Spirit comes to illuminate our minds, to illuminate our minds towards Christ. The Spirit does not come just to guide us into head truth, but the Spirit comes to guide us into heart truth. Surrendering to God's Holy Spirit is never easy. Sometimes what the Spirit requires of you in order to guide you into truth are things that you don't want to do. Maybe today there's a gap that exists, and the Holy Spirit, in order to lead you, to, to guide you towards truth, is calling on you to do what the Scriptures call you to do. That is to confess your sins, to bring what's in the shadow, to expose the gap that is in the darkness and expose it to the light of Christ. But why we must surrender to the ongoing work of God's Spirit is because only God's Spirit has the power to forever see these gaps closed. See, unlike Jesus, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That is not a secret. That is just facts. But what we have is what no other person in this world has that is apart from Christ. And that is we have the blood of Christ, which washes clean the sin caused by our gaps. We have the Holy Spirit at work in us, seeking to sanctify you, to bring about that process of holiness in your life, to make you like Jesus in every way. And so how do we lead like Jesus today? We lead well from the moment he calls us to follow him to the moment he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Jesus led by properly ordering his private world, by building a proper foundation needed to overcome the limitations of our humanity. And Jesus led by not having any gaps between who he was publicly and who he was privately. And today I know that this might be overwhelming. I know today that this might be challenging. I know for me it certainly is. But here's my hope today, that if this was too much, if Jesus didn't think that we could carry it, he wouldn't have called us to it. If he didn't think we could bear this responsibility, he wouldn't have asked us to. If he didn't think it was possible for you and I to one day hear those words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, he wouldn't ask us to do it. So to lead well, we must trust. Trust today that it is by God's grace that we can do all these things. It is not our own work. It is the power of God at work in us. It is his grace. Trust that every sin, when you, when, you when you confess your sins, when you believe that Jesus died for your sins, every sin has been washed clean in Jesus' name. There might be gaps that exist, but that sin is conquered. That sin is defeated today so that you and I can walk in the freedom of Christ, trust in the finished work of Christ, and surrender to the ongoing work of his Spirit. So let us now, as we close, just take a moment to pray together.
Oh, Heavenly Father, today we, now as we just stop, you know, as we close your word, God, Lord, we know today that this topic is a, it's a heavy topic. It certainly is. Because there's nothing that seeks to make us feel exposed, to make us feel shame, like the mistakes that we have made, the moments where we look back upon our life and we see, oh man, I didn't lead that well in that moment. Or, ah, I wish I could have a do-over in that situation. God, I pray today, Lord, that we would never once live in a place of shame. Because we know today that you have not called us to live in shame. You have called us to walk in freedom today. Because, not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done in us. The work of Christ, it is a finished work. You said on the cross, it is finished. And so every mistake that we have made, every sin we have ever committed, every gap that has ever existed, oh God. Lord, we just, we want to trust today that, that you, have, you, have, you have paid it all today. That by your wounds, by the blood that you shed on the cross, we are made whole today. We are healed. And oh God, I pray today that you would help us to grow more and more sensitive to your spirit's leading in our lives. God, we know today that our lives live on a spectrum, Lord, that we, there are times in our lives when we can be more sensitive to your voice, and then there are choices, there are habits, there are things that we do that can numb the voice of your spirit in our life. Oh God, today, if we are living in a place where we have been numb to your voice and your leading, oh God, awaken us, I pray. Give us the boldness and the strength, God, to pray that prayer, that prayer of confession and repentance, but that invitation to your spirit to come once again and just be free to speak what you need to speak, oh Holy Spirit. Lord, today we thank you that you showed us the example, God, that you came to this earth, Lord, and while you paid it all, you lived the life to show us what it meant to follow you, to live this life well. Lord, you demonstrated, God, that we are not have to be slaves to our sin, that we can overcome the limitations of their humanity, not in anything we do, but in what you've done, in your name. And so, God, I pray that we would be a people, help your church to be a witness. God, help us to diminish the gaps. God, we will never be perfect. Only you are perfect in this lifetime. We know that sanctification, Lord, in its truest and fullest form, is still waiting for us in the resurrection, oh God. And oh, what a day that will be. But God, until then, oh, I pray we would never stop working. God, put a passion in our hearts to see that work of sanctification, nothing that would hinder it, God, that you or your spirit would work freely in our lives. Oh God, we love you today. And God, we say thank you today for the cross. Thank you today for sending your spirit to us. Thank you today that you are the perfect example. Whatever, all that we have ever need, all that we ever need is found in you. We say this in your name. We love you today, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, God bless everyone today. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for just being with us. Remember, the church is not closed right now. The church, the doors, they may be shut, the physical doors, but the doors never shut. The gates are never closed. Because the church is a body, it is not a building. And so here's my encouragement to you. We know right now, before we close, that uh, if you're waiting, when does the doors open again, the doors to the physical building? Well, we are waiting for step two to be initiated. So when step two is initiated, we will, uh, we will not be opening again because we have not been closed. 
but rather we will just be returning to our in-person gatherings. But until then, I just want to encourage you, don't let this season be wasted. Go out, walk with your Father, walk with the Spirit, pray, rest, shut out the noise. Do whatever it takes to find that soul's rest, to be still, to practice the Sabbath, to simplify your life. We know, too, that this season is going to pass, and it's going to pass in a short time. But until then, let us not stop the work that we have been called to in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless. Have a great day. It's beautiful out there. Enjoy the sunshine. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.